morning. Man, it's good to see you all here today. All of you. And if you're viewing online, I can't see you, but I'm excited to have you as well. Special word of thanks for those who are in our overflow room in the other building. Hopefully you can see and hear me and just really appreciate your willingness to go over and make room. Obviously we need it, uh, which is an exciting thing. And uh, really this is a, a monumental moment in the story of Solid Rock Church. And the next four weeks are gonna be a really critical time for us as we get ready to transition out of this room into the bigger space. And so I wanna just lay some things out. First of all, I want you to expect a lot of information coming out over the next three or four weeks, emails, announcements. So you get an email, I know some of you, you just like, yeah, you click on it and then you don't read it. Read it, look and see what's in it because we're gonna be needing a lot of help. We've already had some community groups coming up and getting involved and doing some demolition work and helping get things prepared. And we're gonna need more of that over the next three or four weeks. Um, but I wanna, I wanna give you three words that are gonna be critical uh, in making this transition well. First one is excitement. I want you to be just as excited as I am about where we're going and what in the opening of the new building, but I want our excitement to be rooted in the right thing, right? So I know when you step into a new building, you smell the new paint, you see the new floor, like that's exciting. But if that's all that we are excited about, we might as well just convert that into a basketball gym and not go over there. Like our excitement must be rooted in the work God is doing and is yet to do. You with me? Like, we're not waiting on that new building to open for God to work. He's already working. He's working now. He's been working in the lives of our students this weekend. He's working in your home. And so our excitement is that we're gonna get to see more people be a part of that work. That's what we're excited about. And it's important that we're excited because otherwise it's gonna be really frustrating and inconvenient and and somewhat of a burden because there's a lot of work to get done. And there's a whole lot of moving chairs and putting furniture together and all those kinds of things that are gonna need to be done. And so I want our excitement to drive us to be willing to do those things. Uh, the The second word I wanna offer up is the word flexible. If we could just be flexible over the next three Sundays, that would be awesome. Because as like you see with services like today, just give us a second, we'll get some seats, we'll, we'll move some things around and we'll, we'll get everybody seated. So over the next three or four weeks, we're gonna need to be flexible. Uh, but then also the last word I would offer up is just willing. If you're able and you're willing to pitch in and help, please let us know because uh, we, want to, we want to do this together. Um, we want to make this transition together. We want you to be a part of that. And so just a willingness to, to be a part of, of making that transition will be super helpful. So I want to start there today. Uh, and then we're going to go to Philippians chapter two. Um, so Philippians chapter two is where we're going to be today. We're actually starting a sermon series today, a three-week series. And what we're going over today, and I don't, please don't want you to miss this. What we're going over today is a little bit about you, but it's mostly not. It's mostly about us. And it's so critical that we understand what God is speaking to his church through Philippians 2 today before we take one step towards that new building. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna be so bold to say, if we don't start getting this down, there's no need in going over there. I know it's a bold statement, but I mean it. Okay, so Philippians 2, we're going to walk through a text together that describes the heart of serving. And so our series is entitled Serving All In. And if you've been with the church for four or five years, you know we've used that title before. And we talked about it the first time we used it. It's not just a, a gimmick to, to raise funds. We believe that Christ calls his followers to follow him all in with everything that they are, their heart, mind, soul, strength. We also believe that, that, that Christ calls us to, to, to engage in the church and the biblical community 
all in, not halfway in, not one foot in, but all in. And so we talked about it, that phrase meaning more than just raising funds. Sometimes in our story, it'll mean raising funds all in. It'll also other times mean other things. This is one of those such times. We think about serving um, in the church. We're We're gonna see from Philippians today what it looks like to have a heart that's willing to serve all in. And how when we do this according to God's word and counsel, it's life-giving. It fills us with joy. It's not depleting. It's not a burden. It doesn't lead to burnout, but it is truly life-giving. And so we're going to start in Philippians 2, verse 1 in just a moment. I want to share with you a story about a time where um, I was caught off guard by someone who served me in an unexpected way. I don't know if you have a story like that. Somebody you didn't expect to serve you served you. Uh, One story that comes to mind has to do with something that happened um, in the Philippines about seven years ago. We took a trip to the Philippines. If you've been around for a while, you've heard parts of this story, but um, essentially we're working in a remote area in the the, uh, rainforest. We were 55 kilometers from the last paved road running water electricity. Uh, The village we were working in was only accessible by motorcycle, foot, and bamboo raft. And so we're in the middle of nowhere. And our mission team leader, I think you were on that trip, Ryan, uh, came to me and he's like, hey, we, we've, we've heard that there's this nomadic tribe that's about eight miles from here and they're living on top of this mountain. They won't be there forever because they're gonna move on. And we've got a great opportunity to go and to share the gospel with these people the first time. Like first time they'll meet an American, first time hear the gospel. And so I wanna send a team of three out. It's like, yeah, let's do this. This sounds exciting. And then uh, the guy's name is Jeff at the time. Jeff's like, hey, but here's the thing. I'm gonna need each of you to carry a bunch of food with you uh, to the tune of about 40 pounds. Uh, and so one of you is going to be carrying some pasta and one is going to be carrying some potted meat and another one's going to be carrying some rice. You're going to put that in your pack and then you're going to make this trek and you're going to go into this village and, tr- and seek to bless them and, and hopefully share the gospel. Like, okay, we get our packs all ready, put the food in. We're like, oh my gosh, this is heavy. Take it back off. We pull a few more things out. Like, what do we need? Put it on, it's too heavy. Take it off. And so we're down to bare minimal. We take our trip. We leave about, I don't know, 7 a.m., uh, headed out. And so uh, we head out the first three miles or so. It's like kind of like dirt road, dirt path. Everything's great. We, we get to the spot and our, our guide is like, okay, here's where we turn. And I'm looking into this like dense rainforest and like turn. There's not a, like a path. There's no road. There's no path. And he's like, pulls out his machete, <laughs> right? He just starts carving out a path through the rainforest. And we're following him. We go in about another three miles into the rainforest, just following this guy. We get to the base of the mountain and he hands us over to three more guides uh, who are gonna now help us get up the mountain. The last mile and a half, two miles is like straight up the mountain. Like not switchbacks, not paths. Like no, a guy with a machete. <laughs> and you're just following up this muddy mountain. And so I'll never forget um, that experience for a number of reasons. Um, first of all, like when we walked into the village, like we were a little apprehensive. We didn't know, like we were, okay, put your smile, I know you're tired, put your smile on. We want them to know we're friendly. We're here to like love them and bless them. And they were so excited to greet us. They had actually in the coordinating of it all, had caught wind that we were coming. And so they were excited to greet us and they had actually began to make some preparations for us. Uh, they made us an outhouse because this is these, this is indigenous tribe. They don't have outhouses. And so they built us an outhouse. Now, keep in mind the average Filipino is about five, five, two, right? So this outhouse was really short. It was, you know, and as soon as they saw us, they're like, oh, no, it's okay. It's okay. We'll make it work. It's fine. We'll, and then so we, we make it over and they have this hut kind of reserved for us, this open air hut, thatch roof, bamboo floor. And we throw our packs on there and we're like, oh man, it feels good. Rest, we get some water. Next thing I know, you know, we're kind of unpacking. They show up with this pot of like freshly boiled potatoes. And it's something they harvest out there and they look like 
baked potatoes, brown. Uh, and they bring us, and we're like, oh, that sounds good. Like, where's the salt and pepper, the cheese, you know, okay, thank you. And we started eating these potatoes, y'all. They were the best potatoes ever. They're like a sweet potato. And it was like, almost like eating cake. They were so good. And so we eat these potatoes, and like, we didn't expect that, right? That they went out of their way. And so next thing you know, it's about dark. And uh, we're like, oh, swatting mosquitoes and, you know, and saw all sorts of things. And I never forget sitting there with the other two team members and everybody in the village is busy doing something. And all of a sudden I'm like, you smell smoke? And look from the floor, the bamboo floor, the smoke is coming up into our little hut. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's on fire, run! And so we get like, oh, and there's this, this little, little Filipino teenage girl. She's probably 14 years old and she has built a fire, a specific kind of fire. It's this fire that mainly smokes and she was smoking the mosquitoes away. She had seen, nobody asked, just saw a swat mosquito. She's underneath there just building a fire. Next thing you know, it's like our hut's full of this, like almost looks like dry ice at a rock concert, kind of haze. It's like, okay, this is cool, man. We're gonna, now we're gonna like get the, and so we say, hey, to the chief, we, we'd like to get your village together. There's like 30 people. And we wanna share with you why we came. We brought you all this food. We, we want to tell you why we came. Like, okay, let's get together. And hey, and so we're, we're planning on the, the village shows up at our little hut. And then they come in and kind of take over. We're like, I don't know what's going on. They're like, hey, can you scoot this that way, scoot this way? And they scoot us up against the edge of the hut, and we're all kind of around the perimeter, and they begin to roll out these banana leaves on the floor, this whole row of, like, big banana leaves. And they go the other side, and they roll out another row. And essentially what they were doing is they were building a, building a Filipino feast table on the floor. Each of those banana leaves was a plate that you shared with somebody, and they invited us to take a seat, and they took all that food that we had brought them and prepared a feast and served us. Now, that was all unexpected. It was, one of the, it was one of the most powerful, beautiful moments of ministry in my life. And then later on, they heard us share the gospel for the first time, which was even more powerful. You have a story like that where somebody caught you off guard, no strings attached, completely unexpected, served you. Now, it feels good to be served, right? There's a certain amount of joy that comes in being served. You ever had a pedicure? Like, feels good, right? You ever been to a nice restaurant? Somebody serves you, right? But what, what Paul's gonna get out is, is, is this idea of serving, not yourself, but serving others, actually leads to something better. And so we're gonna pick this up in verse one. Philippians 2, verse one. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy... Pause. When Paul does something like that, he's essentially saying, I'm talking to everybody. If, if, if any of this criteria applies to you, listen. If you are a Christian, what I'm about to say applies to you. Okay, so just, you're just talking to like the adults in the room. No, 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 no. If you're a Christian, 12 years old, 20 years old, 40 years old, if, if you've experienced the love of Christ, if you've experienced his Holy Spirit working in you, any level of affection or sympathy because of the gospel, then listen, this applies to you. Complete my joy. We're gonna come back to that phrase at the end. By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now, in some ways, that sounds a little utopic and idealistic, doesn't it? Like, yeah, that's a great motto for a sports team. 
all is one. We're going to be of one mind, one heart. Let's do this. But what does Paul mean by that? What does that look like in the church? And then second of all, how do we get there? First of all, what does he mean? Second of all, how do we get there? So as we kind of unpack what he's talking about here, he's talking about our mind. So it's what we do with, our, with, with the way we think about things. Saying, listen, I want you to be unified in the way you think about things. But not just that, with your love, your concern for others, I want there to be a unity in the way that you care for one another. So it's not like you've got a bunch of like superstar Christians in the church who are responsible for doing all the loving on people. He's talking to everybody. He said, I want the whole church to be this way. One mind, one heart, full accord. Now, the mistake might be, mean, might be to think, oh, okay, so as Christians then, we all have to look alike, talk alike, just like cloning a bunch of people, and we all look kind of like become the same thing, so we need to all wear the same clothes. And No, 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 I think he's talking about this idea. You know how like in really good friendship, how you can kind of complete one another's sentences? You know each other so well, and you're so unified in, in, in the way you see the world, or maybe in marriage, hopefully in some level in marriage. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we have different talents, gifts, all these kinds of things, but, but at the end of the day, we, we see the world the same way. And I know what you're thinking, you know what I think, and you can complete my sentences and vice versa. It's this idea of a culture, we kind of have a common language among us, a common understanding of how to see the world. And this is what he's describing. So then my question is like, well, how do we get there? I mean, it sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, a church where there's no bickering and disagreement and disunity, like, yeah, who doesn't want that? So what do we need to do? We need to put an all-member meeting on the calendar? Is that how we do that? We get together and we go, hey, guys, from now on, we're going to be one mind, one heart, full accord. Ready? Go. He tells us how to get there in the remaining verses here. We're going to walk through this, starting with verse 3. He says, here's the first step. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So Paul says, listen, this has got to start with humility. And I think it's important to stop and define what we mean by humility. Because I think for some people in the world today, they hear humility or humble yourself. What they hear is you need to run yourself into the ground. Self-deprecation. I need, to, I, need to, I need to really, really just push myself into the dirt if I'm going to be humble. But actually the word here means to do things without attitude or arrogance. That's the word humble means here. Okay, I know what arrogance and attitude look like. I got a teenager at home. Where's he at? He's over here somewhere. Hey, buddy. Not because of you. It's all your friends that I get the attitude. But, you know. <laughs> right, we know what attitude and arrogance are. And so he's saying, well, I need you to do things without attitude or arrogance. And so the understanding of humility from a biblical perspective is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less, less often, less of the time. Spend less time focusing on you, focusing on what you want, what your ambitions are, and spend more time focusing on others. It's not self-deprecation, it's others' edification. Are you with me? And so again, it's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less often. Spending more of your energy and effort thinking about others. And then in verse 4, he says, let each of us look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now let's stop for a minute. Two key words here, look and interest. Look is the idea of like seeking, being observant. There are two ways to look in the world. One is to like drive down the road and if something catches your attention, you look at it. Like, so you drive down the road and you're like, 
oh, look, there's a deer in the field. That's one way to look at the world. There's another way to look at the world where you're driving down the road looking for deer. You see the difference? One is intentional. It's aimed. The purpose is to find. That's the version of look that's being used here. Paul is not saying to the church, hey, if you're cruising through life and something gets your attention and it's a person in need, why don't you just take a moment and stop and meet that need? He's saying, no, I want you to go out into the world looking for this, seeking this. The radar is turned on. Well, what are we looking for? Look, not only to your own what? Interests, but to the interests of others. This is really helpful marriage advice, by the way. (laughs) So the idea here is that I would find interest in what you're interested in. I would find joy in thinking about being a part of what you're thinking about, what you are doing. That's the idea here. So like, I use this example for marriage. Uh, The first two years of, of our marriage was rough in this regard. I didn't know how to make my wife happy. Anybody else? It wasn't that I wasn't trying. I was just missing all the time. Clean house, do the dishes. I thought that was what made Cards, chocolate, no. What do you want? I want to go for a walk. A walk? I, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to lose weight. I want to go on a walk. But no, that's, that's what I'm interested in. Spending time with you with no distractions. Can I just take you out to eat? No, because we're poor. But we can go on a walk. <laughs> and it, and it, a light bulb clear. I'm like, oh, I'm not interested in going on walks, but I'm interested in her, and that's what she's interested in, so I'm going to choose to be interested in it. Revolutionary. <laughs> oh, a light bulb went off. Now, apply that to the church. If all we do is group ourselves according to interests, we'll have our guys who like to go play golf, maybe a few girls over here. We'll have you know, some people who like to scrapbook over here. We'll have people who like to go fishing and they go hang out and, and we'll just see all these little affinity groups all over the place, kind of connected by their interests. And Paul's like, no, church, put your own interests down and look at your brother and sister in Christ and find out what their interests, and look to their interests. Seek it, like observe it, like what brings you joy? What blesses you? Pay attention so that you can go out of your way to be interested in the interests of others. Some other ways you could translate this. Seeking, intentionally seeking what blesses someone. Not just if like a random idea comes up, you're like, oh, sweet, I'm gonna bless you. Here you go. But like you're like, you're constantly focused and you're studying. You're like, hey, what would bless him? What would bless her? What would bless him? What would bless him? What would bless her? And you're constantly looking for opportunities to bless one another. Pay attention to what brings someone else joy. Don't be surprised if people don't like what you like in life. Look for what brings joy to somebody else. Intentionally doing what would be helpful to someone. And then, like I said, finding interest in somebody else's interest. Like, here's the thing. I'm not very good at golf, but if you really want me to go play, like, I'll go hit the ball and look for it with you. That's what I do. <laughs> if you leave me to myself, I don't own golf clubs, I'm not gonna go play golf. But to spend time with you, I will. I will. But you gotta be willing to be patient with me. 
because it's going to be a whole lot of looking for the ball. But that's the point here. Uh, another example that comes to mind of where I, I've experienced this personally, or my whole family experienced it, was um, when 2019 we, we built a house and we sold our house and we were in transition. It kind of happened pretty quick. And, um, and so we didn't know where we were going to live. And uh, my wife works at a school and was talking to one of the other parents and sharing exciting news. We sold our house. Yay. What are you going to do? We're going to build a house. Great. And so this mom says, well, where are y'all going to live? And Hallie's like, well, I don't know. We've been talking about apartments or getting an RV or we've got some tents. I don't know what we're going to do. And, and so this, this lady's like, well, why don't you just live with us? I'm like, Whatever live with you. Like you've ever, you know how long it takes to build a house, right? Like, like for one weekend? Like, no, why you build your house? And so Howie's like, that's a big offer. Let me talk to my husband. Why don't you talk to your husband first too? <laughs> like, let's just make sure that this is, and so the next day she comes up to the house. like, yeah, I talked to my husband and we're, we're in. Here's what she said. We want you to live with us. She didn't say, hey, we're willing to, like, we want you to live with us. So I go out and I meet the husband and I'm like, I'm going through this whole list of things in my head about why this is a bad idea. And, and I'm like, well, what about this? I'm like, and this, this guys, you'll get this, right? This is, a, this is a, a man who has a yard that's got sprinklers in St. Augustine, it's manicured. And so I pull in, I'm like, that's cool. But you know that with us comes two vehicles. So where are we gonna park? He's like, I want you to park right there in the grass. What? Like, no, for like eight months, the grass is gonna be dead. Yeah. You want me to park in your grass? Yes, we want you to. We want you to live here. We want you to park on the grass. And I'm like, oh, mind blown. I don't let people park on my grass. <laughs> Another example from that story is um, the situation was there's a house with a garage apartment, but there's only one laundry room. So we had to coordinate laundry. And like, we didn't want to be the burden. Like you guys have priority. You just let us know when it's free. And we did great for about two or three months. And we were like making sure. And there was one time, I think Hallie put some laundry in and getting ready for school and then leaves in a hurry. And we're like, leave laundry in the washing machine. And, you know, and it gets home. It's like, oh my gosh, I left the laundry. Goes running over there to the laundry room and finds out that the owner of the house needed to do laundry. So instead of pushing our stuff aside, what they do, they finished our laundry, folded it, and then did their laundry. And Hallie's like, oh, I feel so bad. She comes to me, she goes, what are we going to do? Kick us out. Like, I'm just, we go talk. They're like, no, we wanted to do that. Just some examples of what it looks like to take interest in somebody else's needs and interests. Seek to do that. You know, it kind of sounds upside down, doesn't it? That somehow this would lead to life and it would lead to joy and some sense of fulfillment that you were not worry about you and you'd worry about other people. But if we think about it, isn't the kingdom of Christ a kingdom of paradoxes to begin with? Like, like think about it. Like, it's better to give than to, oh, that's upside down. The least shall be the, the greatest. You, you know these Bible verses, right? Like, this is the kingdom we're in. And the reason the kingdom is like that, hear me, church, is because the king is like that. Matthew chapter 20, Jesus talking to the disciples. First of all, he's going to say, hey, guys, come here. You know how the rest of the world does it. Look at what he says, verse 25. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. That's how they do it. 
Listen, verse 26, it shall not be so among you. That is not a soft suggestion from a soft savior. That is the king of the kingdom saying, it shall not be in my kingdom. It's not the way things are gonna work. And then look at what he says about himself. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came, not to be served, but to serve. That's why I came. That's what I'm looking for. I'm seeking to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, this is where I'm gonna insert a word of caution, okay? So if the Holy Spirit's stirring in you some excitement, you go, yeah, this is how I wanna live. I want our family to live this way. I want our church to be this way. I wanna be this way. Caution. If all you do is take the things we've talked about and add it to your already chaotic, busy life, you're gonna burn out. You're gonna run out of steam quickly. It's not gonna lead to more joy. It's gonna be life depleting, not life giving. So what do we do? That's when we go back to verse four. He says, here's how you have to start. Let each of you not own, look not only to your own interests. There's gotta be a willing to lay your interests down and exchange here. Just say, you know what? I'm interested in a lot of things. I got a lot of needs in my life. I got a lot of wants in my life. But you know what? I'm gonna lay all of those down and I'm gonna start seeking to meet your needs. If all you do is take your busy, chaotic schedule and add serving others into it, I'm telling you, it won't bring joy. Now, why do I keep bringing up this bringing joy? Well, early on, Paul talks about making his joy complete, right? Say, so, hey, just make my joy complete by doing these things. By the end of the chapter, he's gonna call the church to, be, to open up with, with these open arms and hospitality, a brother in Christ who's coming. And, and essentially what Paul's saying is like, out of your joy, do this for him. So it's not about just about Paul's joy. It's about the joy of the whole church here. Find joy in doing this. And it's not that like, it doesn't bring you joy when people serve you, but what Paul's saying, you want greater joy? You want longer lasting joy, sustainable joy, life-giving joy? Man, you need to be about other people and not yourself. And then in verse five, Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped. Verse seven, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So he's obviously pointing to Christ here, right? Now hear me, church. This is not where the apostle Paul takes Jesus, puts him up on a pedestal and says, now let's just go out and let's, let's imitate Jesus. It's actually more profound than that. That would be a decent start, right? You wanna be a great basketball player? You find a great basketball player and you go, yeah, do what he does, do what she does. So saying, Jesus, let's put him up. But did you notice the wording here? He says, this is already yours in Christ Jesus. It's not something we just go out and do. This is who you are. That's profoundly different. Let me go back to verse two. What did he say? He said, complete my joy by being. This is who you are. You're not just a bunch of busybodies out there running humanity causes in the world. This is who you are. You can't not do this. 
It's already yours in Christ Jesus. You're already being conformed into the image of Christ. Therefore, live this way. Now, the chapter before this is where we find this, this verse from Philippians 1.6 where Paul's writing, he's opening his letter. He said, hey, I'm sure of this. He who began a good work in you, what's, what's gonna happen with that good work? Well, he's gonna bring it to completion. What's the good work that's begun in you? You are being conformed to the image of Christ. If you are a Christian, that work has already started in you. The thing that's stirring in you right now, you're like, yes, that's the Holy Spirit saying, this is who you are. Now, like, what does this look like in a practical way? Let's talk about it. Let's talk about practical everyday life. Simple example. Anytime you walk through a door for the rest of your life, stop and see if somebody's behind you. And if somebody's behind you, stop. I don't care if it's a man, woman, old, young, open the door and let them go first. Very tangible expression of this. I'm going through the door. I want to go through the door. So I'm standing at the door. You know what? Why don't you go first? Now, I'm not talking about just like chivalry. I got nothing wrong with chivalry. I'm just talking about serving one another. Hey, when you go to Walmart and you park, for those of you who still go to Walmart, don't take the closest spot. Unless you have a physical need, then take it. The rest of us, why not? Why not just go a little further out, right? Park. Like, I know the excitement when you get the close spot and you time it just right. I know you're watching, you're seeing them, they shut the trunk, and you're like, oh, it's on. 30 seconds, they're pulling, and you see somebody across the parking lot and, and they're like, turning, you're like, I see you. And you're driving, and then you time it, they back out, and you're like, zoo, zoo, you slide in. There's satisfaction in that. But listen, church, there is so much more joy in taking the last spot out, leaving two or three open getting out and walking. And as you're walking, seeing an elderly person pulling in one of those spots, that's way more joyful than getting the closest spot. There's some tangible examples. What would this look like in church life? I'll say this, you wouldn't, <laughs> you wouldn't, wouldn't begrudgingly think about your next community group meeting as something you have to do. You'd be excited about it. The next time you get asked to volunteer or serve, it wouldn't just be like, oh God, Jeff needs me to greet again. Blake needs me in the kids' ministry again. Jason Martin wants me up and running. No, you'd be like, I'm excited about it. Why? Because I, I enjoy serving others. I look forward to it. You get here and you're like, hey, thanks for signing me up to serve today. Can I serve next week? And Jeff's like, well, I wish we could. We have way too many people who are serving around here. So you're just gonna have to wait a few weeks and I'll work you back in the rotation. Like, like, like that's the way it would look. You come to church, you're like, man, community group was so awesome. Nick, can we meet more than twice a month? Nick's gonna be like, yeah. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Like you get it? Like it changes the culture. It's no longer this thing that we're, we're doing out of obligation and burden. We're like, like, I'm excited about it. I cannot wait to see you. Now think about it on Sunday morning. Everybody who's here in person anyway, you parked and you walked in. How does this change your expectations? One expectation is, I hope somebody makes me feel welcome. I hope somebody greets me. I hope somebody meets my needs. Another one is, I cannot wait to get in that place and look for an opportunity to serve somebody. Now, now listen, there are gonna be days when you pull in the parking lot and you're broken and wounded. Come into this place broken and wounded because the other 99% of us are gonna be here looking to your interests. You with me? So it doesn't mean that you don't from time to time have needs and need people to meet your needs. It just means that's not your primary ambition. It's not why you show up Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. I sure hope they made me feel welcome. Like, I hope you feel welcome. But like, you gotta understand this church is growing fast. And if you've been here 
more than two months, you're kind of becoming regular around here, and so we need you to help us do this for people. You think about that. If you're in a new church and you're like, I'm kind of new. Everybody else has been here for a while. That's not true. There's a lot of new people around you. And so Paul's saying, listen, hey, if you've been a member of the church 10 years, then make my joy complete. But no, he's talking to everybody who is a Christian. This should be how you operate in the world, especially in the church. But in the, if you're in Christ, do this. Live this way. See the world this way. Make my joy complete being of one mind, one heart, full accord. And of course, we're being conformed to the image of Christ. What did Christ do? He emptied himself. He humbled himself. He took the form of a servant. That's who you're becoming. By the work of the Holy Spirit of God, that's who you are becoming. It's a supernatural work God is doing in you. I want you to think about that. This is not an arbitrary call to sign up a bunch of volunteers to 10 teams and see how many people we can get plugged into places. We do that, guys. We're gonna crash and burn. And I, I said it already, like, let's don't open up that new building and fill it full of people who are only looking after their own interests. I bet these students would rather have a basketball gym. Are you with me? Like, those of us who are the church, who are in Christ, we've gotta walk into that building seeking the interests of other, others looking for opportunities to bless. I'm telling you, it's so transformative. When you take your eyes off of foc- hyper-focusing on yourself and start looking at others, it frees you up to be transformed. It works in marriage too. Like, like, right? Letting go of those ambitions. Like, my needs, my needs, my needs, my needs. What if you just lay that down? Like, hey, how can I serve you? See how it transforms your marriage and imagine how it would transform our church, guys. Listen, I, I don't want to move into the new building without doing this. This is the first week of a three-week serving series. I don't even want to move on to next Sunday until we've resolved together. This is who we are in Christ. It is who we are becoming. It's what we're aiming at. It's not just a cliche to say we're going to hand the church off to this generation. It's happening. I mean, like look at the leader, Harper Waller. She's a leader. There you are, hi, she's up here leading us in worship. It hasn't been that many years ago, she was right here with the D-Now shirt on. Like, you guys, like, we're cultivating the next generation of leaders here. Like, you with me? And they're either gonna be people who follow in our example and pursue their own interests, and man, we can't be the church that way. So this is not just an arbitrary call to get people to sign up. This is, a, this is, this is Christ's command to count others as more significant than yourself, to think of yourself less often, to seek what blesses other people, to pay attention to what brings somebody else joy, to intentionally do something that helps someone else and to find interest in somebody else's interests. Your Savior is commanding that of you and he's commanding of us. And so I just wanna end with a few questions for you to think about. I asked you earlier, have you ever experienced somebody else like doing that for you? And it's great to be a recipient of that. Maybe you have, I don't know, maybe you haven't. But as you think about what that means, what that meant to you, if you've experienced it, I want you to think about like, like bending that out towards people on a regular basis. And, and if you're sitting here today going, I, I love this message, I'm excited and inspired, but honestly, it feels a little overwhelming and exhausting, then you miss that piece of counsel. You've gotta be willing to make room for this. You've gotta be willing, don't, don't take your already too busy life and add a bunch of hobbies and interests and relationships to it. Like you've gotta make room for this. You've gotta be willing to lay down some of your interests to take on the interests of others. 
okay? But I want to leave you with this final question and really just practical takeaway. Here's your homework this week. I want you to think of one person, one person in your life, school, at work, in your neighborhood, your community group, in the church. One person, I think at least one person, who you can go serve this week with no strings attached, simply seeking to bless them. Think of one person that you can do that with this week and spend the remainder of our time just thinking about what does that look like and how do I take those practical steps? All right, let's pray. I'm gonna invite the worship team up. We're gonna pray together. We've got elders available to pray with you if anything is going on in your life that you're really wrestling with, you want somebody to pray with you, we're here for you in that. Let's pray together and then we'll stand and sing. Um, Father, we thank you for this powerful and very challenging reminder from Philippians 2, God. Uh, Father, we acknowledge, first of all, our shortcoming in this, that as human beings, left to our own demise, left to our own thinking, we typically walk into a group of people thinking about ourselves. What would make me comfortable? What would make me feel accepted? What would make me feel happy? And Father, I, I believe that you're calling the church to something different, something even upside down from that that we would be a people that would not just step into a building, but we would step into every relationship, every human interaction, seeking, looking for opportunities to bless, to help, to serve. And Father, what we're praying for is actually a supernatural thing, that you would transform Solid Rock Church into this kind of church. This Philippians 2, 1 through 8 description, Father, that it would describe who we are. So, Father, we need your help to do this. And, God, we pray as you work through the remainder of the service, your Holy Spirit moving and speaking. For anybody here who is not a Christian, draw them to yourself, God. For those who are hurting, who are broken, that, God, you would draw them to yourself, that, that in you they would find healing. Father, we give this time to you now. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.